greatest adventure is what lies ahead today and tomorrow are yet to be said the chances the changes are all yours to make the mold of your life is in your hands to break welcome back i'm jordan and i'm rachel and normally every week we watch a movie from my childhood and uh, talk about it in terms of gender and race and then eat a delicious sugar-free snack that Rachel makes. But this week's a little bit different. Yeah. Tell us why, Rachel. Uh, because I got to choose a movie from my childhood, <laughs> which will give you a little open, like dark door into the vast tower of my subconscious. I'm guessing this movie's going to involve either... Uh, some kind of supernaturally intelligent horse or other rideable animal, or maybe an enchanted glen populated by talking animals. All of this shit I love. (laughs) So it's... All of that is possible. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, And then we'll talk about it in terms of gender and race and see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, I am interested to to see, though, if, like, there's some problematic shit in the movies that you watched when you were a kid. Yeah. Uh, We'll see. I'm going to go ahead and guess that there's not going to be as much. There probably isn't, and namely because even though my parents are insane fundamentalist Christians... Yeah. Um... Or they certainly were whenever I was a child. I'm not sure about now. Um, they, part of the sci, my dad was a fantasy nerd, like a sci-fi fantasy nerd. Sure. And like, re- he used to read me Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and stuff whenever I was a kid. Yeah. And a lot of that filtered through to the things that I grew to love as far as TV and film goes. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't watch a bunch of live action stuff because I didn't, really want to but also it wasn't very accessible to me yeah i totally get it i'm actually really interested because i I have a theory that like formative childhood movies for boys and girls are uh, i mean this isn't the theory but they're obviously different right right and Um, i think that that's not because boys and girls are naturally attracted to either side of things i think it's what people put in front of them oh yeah yeah well that's uh you know gender roles are not something that are inherent. It's something that's like forced on us by society. Yeah, and I think it's I think that's interesting because uh, movies that are targeted to little girls often involve much more empathy. Yeah, and uh, especially the movies that you were into. Yeah, um, it's like relationship building too. Exactly. Yeah. So I I think that we're going to run into fewer problems with these movies um, than with the ones that I'm going to continuously force upon you. But we'll see a (laughs) little bit later. We'll see. And it may be that we have to take a different approach with this one where we talk about, um, you know, not necessarily problems with the movie, but problems with society and how that's reflected in the movie. That might be a good good turn to take because I don't think that this is going to be problematic, but we'll see. We're going to see. Um, And hopefully it'll be a recipe for disaster. So, Rachel, 
Rachel, what do you, uh, oh, I guess we should mention, even <laughs> so, because you're a woman, even though the, uh, you get to pick the movie today, uh, you're still making the dessert. Because That's right. If I made it, um, we and several of our listeners would get food poisoning, so. <laughs> Jordan puts raw chicken in all of his desserts. <laughs> it's delicious. I like sweet and salty. Oh. Um, what are you making for us today? I am making a a low-carb cologne of a Hostess cupcake. Mmm, that the, sounds delicious. The cream-filled ones, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds awesome. With the white squiggly line. Yeah, what are those, ding-dongs? Ding-dongs. <laughs> ding-dongs. Yeah. yeah, it's a funny name, Rachel, but that's what they're called. Ding-dongs. <laughs> yeah. What made you want to make this? Um, because I was thinking about... I feel like this movie is a lot about nostalgia. Sure. And one of my favorite things that I used to do is, um, when I was a kid was, we lived out in the country, but um, sometimes my mom would have to go into town to get gas. Yeah. And to get me out of her hair, she'd give me like a buck. She'd be, oh, she'd tell me to look in the center console and whatever change was in there I could have nice. to go get a something in the uh, in the gas station. Yeah. And so... I would go and get um, like a little wrapped hostess treat, um, and I loved ding dongs, and I loved like the texture in the middle of them. Yeah. And like how creamy it is. These are gonna be a little different because the center I don't think is gonna be quite as like because that's made of like cornstarch or um, like oh what's what, I, what am I looking for marshmallow like marshmallow and corn syrup and stuff mm. this is gonna be made out of cream cheese yeah which is gonna be infinitely superior because oh, i yeah, was just yeah. about to say like little debbie is like processed Crap. junk yeah. yeah which is another reason like now i don't think i'd like them now yeah like if i ate one i'd be like oh this is gross um but i do want to like relive that super sweet sugar rush why is it that when we were kids like we would we had such low standards What's the deal with that? I don't know if it was low standards so much. I wasn't allowed much sugar growing up. Um, but, like, my dad... And honestly, you know what? I didn't like the Little Debbies as much as I... Because my dad baked. And... Which is such a weird thing if you knew him. Yeah. Um, but my dad baked, and he would make, like, these peanut butter... Chocolate peanut butter oatmeal clusters that were the best mm, things. That sounds and so, good. Because most of the time when you're on the country, you can't go into town to get a treat. Yeah. Like, you eat what you make. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's too much of a chore to go into town. Yeah, exactly. That's a special Sunday treat. Yeah. Going into town. Going into town. Going to the Sody Pop Fountain. <laughs> We're all right. Don't go crazy here. <laughs> um, but I did a study recently that shows that kids do crave sugar because it's yeah. like a really high energy source for when they're growing. I mean, I loved Gushers. Like, <laughs> See, I, have, I didn't have candy. I wasn't really allowed to have candy. Yeah, well, I mean, if you've had, Well, I don't know that I would call Gushers candy. What the fuck, Jordan? They're, they're, they're candy. They're fruit snacks. No. Read the label. Jordan, they're candy. Fruit flavor snacks. There's no fruit in them. Yeah, but they're... It's, you don't call them candy. It's a, there's, a, there's a difference. Like, you can't... I mean, a fruit roll-up. Is that candy? Yes. In fact, I mean, if you looked it up on Wikipedia, I bet you 50 bucks it would say candy. I feel like there's a... So, technically, yes, I think they're candy. But, like, connotatively, I don't think they're the same. Candy implies, like, a hardness or, like, a snack-sized chocolate, something like that. 
No. You don't agree. I think if it's got corn, if it's made out of corn syrup, it's candy. And if the, in the process of candy, if the process of candying is used to make it, then it's candy. I think if it's individually wrapped and you can eat it in one bite, then it's candy. Otherwise, it's a... That's an insane measure! <laughs> Otherwise, it is a sugary snack. Do you need to work for a fucking Monsanto or some shit? <laughs> Monsanto, if you're out there, uh, check out my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Monsanto, um, if you're out there... I'm ready to work in your PR department. My fucking God. Um, no, you just were a slave to the marketing. And well, like, yeah. And you were like... Yeah, that's totally a fruit snack. No, that's candy. Fruit by the foot can't be candy because it's three feet fucking long. Nobody eats three feet of candy, do they? That's I think that's immoral to eat three feet of candy. So we can't call it candy because I'm not immoral. <laughs> Sartre, I hope that you're listening from hell. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, ding dongs. <laughs> so what we can say, I think we can both say pretty accurately that ding dongs are not candy. No. Yeah. That's no. a, that's a snack. They're fucking baked. They are not candy. In fact, I'm setting my. Oh, don't so you don't, candy. you don't bake candy? No. What are you talking about? You can bake candy if it has like toasted coconut in it or something. Jordan, what the fuck are you talking about? You don't know anything about this. It's so irritating <laughs> when you go white man on me and you're just like, hey, can you just bake candy? How do you get toasted coconut? Bitch, you toast the coconut separate from the candy. <laughs> the can candying is a process that involves heating sugar to a particular crystalline structure due to the temperature and then you let it cool. That's candying. I see. It's a process. So oh when you've got a fruit roll-up, there is a candying process. Yes. It's all cooked down corn syrup. Fine. Fine. They cook it down. They mix it with gelatin. Um, they add their fucking red number five and fruit flavoring that was engineered in a lab in New Jersey. And then they let it cool down. And the corn syrup keeps it from getting super hard. Because sugar... Like pure sugar, when it hardens, it hardens into a crystalline structure that is hard, like uh, like peppermints. So it brings me back to my original oh point. Oh my god, okay. That technically, yes, that stuff is candy. You didn't ever say that! I did say that. I said technically it's candy, but you can't call it that. That's not what you said. There's a different connotative... Yeah, we're going to... Yeah. Well, we can listen listeners. back to it. Yeah, listeners, you can write oh, in yeah. and tell Rachel she's wrong. Listeners, if you write in and tell me I'm wrong... <laughs> then I'm not getting any for weeks. That's not true. No, that's not true. That would be more of a punishment for you. <laughs> yeah, it would. Don't you fucking put those harmful gender stereotypes out there. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's uh, let's make this ding dong that is decidedly not candy. An ele- a Jordan. This, this elevated is- non candied ding dong. Ding-dongs being candy is all gushers being candy. I'm just, I'm taking a stand right now. Nobody candies my ding-dong. Nobody. <laughs> the fuck? Do you want me to actually talk about the food? Yeah. Actually, like, the process of what's going to happen yeah, yeah. here? Yeah, yeah, please tell me. Is or, that, how do you make a ding-dong, Rachel? There is no candying process. I know that by now. Um, no. Sorry, I've got to... Count my eggshells here because <laughs> I distracted you with this. You did. This uh, the candy debate, the great candy debate of 2018. Well, I guess I need one more egg then. 
Like, uh, gummy bears aren't candy. Yes, they are. No, they're a snack in a pouch. Like, it's different. No, okay, I'm not getting into this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm separating eggs right now. Okay. Because whenever it comes to making uh, low-carb, f- like, baked goods, the issue is that the flowers, the flowers being, like, the almond flour and the coconut flour are really dense. Okay. And so you have to, like, do as much as you can to get a, for a rise. And so what I do is I almost always whip my egg whites beforehand. Gotcha. S- separate them. Like, then I mix up a thick patter. Then I fold in the egg whites. And so that's what I'm going to do today. We're using erythritol again. So What's I'm, the purpose of folding in the egg whites? Um, folding means gently incorporating them. And you don't want to incorporate them too much because they'll lose all the air. And then oh. that you won't get that, like, light, fluffy, spongy texture. Oh, okay, yeah. Kind of fun, huh? It is. It's neat. It's like science. It is like science. I mean, it's literally science. It is literally science. It's food science. Yeah, food science. Sure. Alton Brown would be proud. Oh, man, I went to see him live. He was the best. <laughs> mise en place. Yeah, mise en place. But anyway, since you're uh, going ahead and, and whipping these now, we'll take a break. Yeah. Come back. Talk about the movie. Yeah. Talk about the food. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. Ding dong. Yeah, the ding dong. <laughs> the ding dong. Ding dong paddywhack. <laughs> so I guess let's uh, let's take a look at it and kind of describe how it looks. Yeah, it looks like um, if a little kid made an imitation ding dong out of Play-Doh. Oh, that's mean. I think it looks good. It's it's rustic. Oh, you're nice. But it looks because like you know you say the Play-Doh thing that makes it that implies that it's like not appetizing. Yeah. Like this looks good. It I, does like look I do want to eat it. That's yeah. pretty good. Well, let's cut into the middle of it because they are, it's cream Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm cutting mine in half. Mm. And so how did we get them, or how did you get them to set so well? Set? Yeah, like they're, uh, like they're not like dripping and oozing. Oh, you mean how did I get them baked all the way through? No, no, the, uh, with the ganache on there and the cream and everything, like it looks, uh. Oh, you mean it's all firm and it's not like yeah. dripping off of it? Um. Lots of patience. <laughs> Lots of patience? That's really all it is. You just put them in the refrigerator after you put the ganache on top and it firms it up. For how long? Ten minutes. About ten minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. It comes out. Yeah, it looks really nice just cutting into mm-hmm. the middle here. They got the cream fill in there. Yep. And let's take a bite. Okay. Let's see how it is. Mmm. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> That is a million times better than a regular ding dong. <laughs> Little is. Debbie ain't got shit on this. Really? Yeah, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good. I feel like there's a good level of bitterness with the cocoa. Yeah, and also I used espresso in it, so. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, and that kind of cuts through, mm-hmm. but like the ganache and the, um, like cupcake is that mm-hmm. what it is? Our, uh, like the cake batter, cake dough, Mm -hmm. is, um... It's batter. Batter? Okay. (laughs) 
Like they're both uh, like giving you that chocolatey feel, but in different ways with different mm-hmm. textures that are really nice. Yeah, yeah. And then that cream cheese, obviously. Yeah. Bam. Can't go wrong with that. And no. It's like like a little bit salty, and it's not gum into your mouth. It's got like more natural textures to it. Yeah, it it comes off clean mm-hmm. when I take a bite. Mm-hmm. I don't ha- I don't feel like filmy in my mouth mm-hmm. like I do from normal sugary things. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, it's delicious. Yeah, it's pretty good. So what do you think about, like, appearance as opposed to taste? I mean, I've never been great at the aesthetic side of, ba- aesthetic side of baking. One, because I'm generally impatient to get the dessert. <laughs> and You're just hungry, poor baby. Not necessarily that I'm hungry, just I want to eat that dessert fast, and most people yeah. do, and so I don't take as much as much time as I should. I, mean, I can't blame you there. I'm the same way. It tastes really good, and that's all that I really care about. Yeah, that's my thing, too. I do like textures also. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a good one. Because mm-hmm. it, it is mixing basically three different textures with the cream cheese and the cake and the ganache. Mm-hmm. And the ganache almost forms like a like a chocolate shell a little bit. It does. Like, um, similar to... I think it actually is called chocolate shell, the stuff you put on ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like that, but for a cupcake. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way, this sounds weird, but I like the way that it feels against my tongue. Mm-hmm. The, uh, like the ganache part being mm-hmm. on the outside. Because that's like the first thing that my mouth touches, obviously, before right. I bite into it. And that kind of smooth feeling on my tongue mm-hmm. feels really good, actually. It's texture, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I would say this is a delight. What about you? I would say this is pretty delightful. I like it. Not beautiful. Like, I wouldn't serve this to a bunch of fancy-ass fancy house guests, but it does what taste kind of good. Fancy house, what kind of fancy house guests wouldn't like to eat this? Somebody who might be like, mm, it's very rustic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're hanging out with a fucking jerk. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. If you are around jerks who would judge your food, <laughs> don't serve this to them. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I mean, I guess I would say that, too. But, uh, yeah. But that's true of most things. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't give anything to a to an asshole. Yeah. He's going to treat you like that. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve any dessert. Then go to bed. <laughs> you go right to bed, sir. <laughs> I think I would, next time I'm going to change up the cupcake consistency. I like it, but it's still a little dense. How would you, yeah, how would you change it? What do you think uh, would need to be done to... To make it less dense. Um, I think I could try and make it like an angel food cake. Get a little more rise out of it by using mostly whipped egg whites. Okay. As Mm. opposed to, um, this was a mixture of egg whites and and what else was it? Yolk and, you know, uh, oil and coconut flour and almond flour. Gotcha. So just a higher proportion of egg whites is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I can see that would make it a little fluffier. But, I mean, I like it the way it is. I'm going to eat, like, I mean, how many of these do we have? Eight? Mm-hmm. Nine? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to probably eat five or six of them. <laughs> You're going to have black poops tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't even know if it'll take that long. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll be right back. <laughs>
So, Rachel, what movie are we watching this week? <laughs> we... Is this, is this how you feel every week? Like, the dread that yes. I have inside me right now that's, yes. like, deep inside my gut and just, like, rising up into my throat slowly? <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm just like, oh, man, is it going to be something totally lame that I hate? Like, am I about to have a panic attack? Am I going to die? <laughs> Eventually. Wow. Um, wait... So the reason I chose this movie is because we watched a horror movie called The Ritual. Yeah. Um, yesterday, which is really good on Netflix. And Jordan, you mentioned that this, and this is going to sound like totally writerly narcissistic, but I'm just <laughs> going to go ahead and say it. But you mentioned yesterday, you're like, that's like your stuff, Rachel. Nature's going to kill you. Yeah. And you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Nature's after you and you're going to die. That is, yeah, that boils down uh, your personality, just in general, not just your writing, but <laughs> you as a person. Nature's gonna get you, and then you're gonna die. You're gonna die out here. You're gonna die out here. Yeah, you should have been paying attention to the symbols. <laughs> Why didn't you listen? Oh, uh, but what what movie did you pick for us? Um, I picked the 1977 animated The Hobbit. Oh man! Okay, yeah. yeah. Long, long time ago. It has been so long since I've seen this movie. I used to watch this movie over and over again. It was so weird. But I, I watched it so many times that I went and spent like, I don't know, like a week with my grandparents in Shreveport. Sure. Um, And it was like a, I was in a strange bed and like, you know, it's kind of weird whenever you're spending the night at your grandparents' house. Yeah, strange noises and smells and just unfamiliar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I had been watching The Hobbit um, before I sat in the... I, I would sit in the recliner with my granddad and just, like, watch TV and movies. And we were watching the animated Hobbit yeah. together. And I woke up... Or I was having a nightmare about the spiders in this one. The spiders <laughs> that wrap up the dwarves and the hobbits. Yeah. The giant ones. Um, and I was having, I dreamt that a spider um, was using lotion on my grandmother's bedside to wrap me into a cocoon. Oh, man. And I woke up just screaming. <laughs> and, my, and my granddad came in, and this is one of my like strongest memories of him. He came in, and uh, he was like, what's wrong, angel? He's a little Jewish man. What's wrong, angel? And I, was, <laughs> and I said... And I was like, I had a, I had a bad dream. I had a nightmare. Uh, and he's like, well, you know something about nightmares? I was like, what's that, granddad? He's like, they're not real. <laughs> and he's like, granddad is here. Thanks, granddad. <laughs> he goes, granddad is here, so don't worry. Hey, yeah. <laughs> and then he kissed me on the forehead, and I went right back to sleep. So it helped. Yeah, it did help. And yeah. also, that man was wont to... Uh, like, stand outside in the backyard with a fucking handgun if one of his kids <laughs> said they felt threatened by some, some imaginary thing. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, look, there's no monsters out here. I would have shot him with this hand, the service revolver. <laughs> no half measures with granddad. <laughs> no. Nothing lukewarm about him. Yeah. Oh, man. So, I guess for me... My remembrance of this movie isn't so much of the movie as it is of the picture book that came out shortly afterwards. Oh, I, I never saw that. Yeah, it uses the same, it's like the same animation style, yeah, like yeah. just done in illustration. Uh, yeah, in illustration. And um, I remember it because it was in the library at my school when I was in like mm -hmm. third grade. 
And I specifically remember reading this book after I had gotten in school suspension and was forced to spend time You never time told in the me you did that. Yeah, well, no, I told you about this. No. Like when I was so when I was in 3rd grade, uh both my parents worked. Mm-hmm. So, um me and uh, I went to the after school program that was at the school. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was basically this. like a 2 to 3 hour babysitting session mm-hmm. where we would watch movies or do activities at the school. Mhm. Um, and a buddy of mine, uh, was there as well. His name was Kyle. And, uh, we hated the after school program. We thought it was so boring and lame. And there was so much right outside the front door that we could do instead. So one day we decided, you know what? We're not going to show up to the after school program. We're just going to walk right out the front door of the school, walk down the street, Take a look at all the different things going on. Go to the shopping center nearby. This was in Austin, Texas, by the way. Yeah. Everyone. We uh, we wandered from the school past the movie theater where we saw that Muppet Treasure Island was playing. And we were thinking to ourselves, this is pretty great. Let's get our allowances together. And tomorrow we'll go see Muppet Treasure <laughs> yeah. Island. Because it's PG and we can get in without adults. Uh, but we walked down to the Arboretum. We went to the computer store and played... Uh, the Star Wars Dark Forces game on the oh, man. on the demo computers over there for like two hours. It was awesome. Oh, wait. For our younger listeners, if we have any, that was the thing you used to be able to do was go to a computer store and just yeah. play fucking like Pong or Snake. <laughs> or... They're like, oh, you can play fucking Quake on this computer. Yeah. That was like the the like a great day when you go into a computer store and you're like, oh my God, they have Quake in here. Quake was so like, fun. That's a game for older kids. Yeah. Um... But yeah, we went in there and played Dark Forces for two hours, and then we wander back to the school. Um, we show up, and there's like a panic at the school. There are adults everywhere, like looking all around, and oh, Kyle's man. mom in the parking <laughs> lot. And she's standing there talking to one of our other friends from the after school program, whose name was Josiah. And oh, Josiah, Josiah had ratted on us. He, he knew, he saw us leave, and he immediately had gone and told somebody. And so then the parents and the police and everybody were at the school, like, all looking all over town for us. You know, I never met a Josiah that I liked. He was an okay kid. He just, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, he was concerned for us. We're, we're two third graders walking down the road by ourselves. So any kind of bad things could happen. I don't know anything about that Josiah, but I've never met a Josiah that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, it's a unique name, for sure. It's usually the fucking, they're either really weird <laughs> no, no offense to any Josiahs out there, but they're usually, like, really weird, and their parents are like, you're going to marry your cousin one day, Josiah. Oh, my God. Ha-ha, and you will live on this compound forever with the Lord. <laughs> one of us. Giba gaba. Yeah. Um, but so Josiah had told, so we got uh, busted, and I was grounded for, um, if I remember right, it was a couple of months Two, three yeah, months, you deserve like it. That. You could have died, you uh, idiot. And the school gave us both in-school suspension for having left. Uh, so, like, during school hours, we had to do, like, um, basically, we were in detention in the library and doing homework and reading and nothing else. That sounds awesome. Uh, which, you know, looking back, that's a pretty good punishment. You know, force a kid to learn. See, that's Spend time I, in the library. I think it's a terrible punishment. And the reason I think that is the reason that most of most people in our generation don't like to read is because people treated it like a goddamn punishment. Yeah, maybe you're right. Because when I got, we called it OCS, which is on-campus suspension. Okay. When I got OCS, 
it was like the best day of my life. I was in middle school and it was just like the best feelings. I didn't have to be around the teachers I hated. I didn't have to be around the kids I hated. I just finished all my homework. And then I just read awesome fantasy. I was reading Dune at the time. I was yeah. like 14 reading Dune. And so I was just like, this is awesome. <laughs> and it was just like eating that book up. And it was, and I had, I had OCS for a week. Which was the worst thing for me because it put me even further behind in my math class. Yeah. Which is why I was in OCS in the first place because I was failing my math class and I changed the grade on my report card. Oh, wow. And my parents made me go apologize to every single teacher that I had for doing that. <laughs> Jesus. And then I got OCS. Yeah. And it was the stupidest thing ever. And I think punishments like that are so fucking stupid. Yeah, you're right. It does. It creates a negative association and that's, uh, that's harmful, I guess. But for me personally... I kind of enjoyed it because it was like, oh, like a new world has just been opened to me uh, of oh, all yeah. these books. Because your parents so, aren't like big readers or anything. No, uh, I mean, they do read. Uh, I don't. They know <laughs> how to read, everyone. We're, we're a literate family. <laughs> don't worry. Uh, One, they went to college. But yeah, I mean, books were never, I don't think, the primary form of entertainment yeah. in my house. It was more TV shows and, and movies and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I do like to read uh, when I find something I enjoy. And that happened in, in school suspension when I found uh, the illustrated copy of The Hobbit. Yeah. Which was super great. I've read the book uh, also, like the, mm-hmm. the actual Tolkien novel. But, novella. Um, novella. But my favorite part, the part I remember the most, is when they're, uh, they're all getting together to fight smog. Um, the men of Dale are there mm. and like the Eagles show up. Yeah. I, that part was so awesome to me. So the Hobbit is probably what started my love for metal. And <laughs> yeah. you know what? The only complaint I actually have about this movie is the depiction of smog. He looks like a cat dragon and I don't like it. Yeah. He does look like a, like a more graceful instead of powerful being, which I always think. But that. he also has fur. That's stupid. Does he really? I don't remember yeah. that. He's furry. Huh. He looks like a cat dragon. He's like a little like button nose and stuff, and I don't like it. I honestly don't remember. I'm going to have to see it again. Uh, that was my complaint because in my head, whenever, because my dad read me The Hobbit when I was a little bitty kid, um, and I've reread it over and over again because I love it. Yeah. And like Smog in my head is just like this western style dragon so he's like big and like armored has the big like scales and like has all the jewels stuck to his belly because he's been laying on the fucking jewel pile that's awesome and he's got like this massive head and he's wise the book is just like because tolkien treated dragons right here uh, this is gonna be (laughs) just one second indulge me here because i feel like dragons get mistreated all the time by media like, I hate... There are so many negative stereotypes of dragons out there. We really need to point them out so that we can move forward as a country. You shut the hell up. Unity. <laughs> so, let me finish this dragon rant or it'll never be over. Um, every time you interrupt me, I'm going to start over again. Oh, no. oh man, we're going to be here forever. Oh, this, the no. cure is simple. Just shut up and let me finish my dragon I rant. can't do it. Okay, are you ready? I'm going to give you a quarter for every second you're silent. <laughs> I'm going to walk out of here with no quarters. Um, so yeah, please, go ahead with the dragon rant. So, I feel like dragons in folklore were, like, they were, they were very rarely just these animals. Mm-hmm. 
that like can be controlled by man or exterminated by man, like Reign of Fire Dragons. Yeah. Fuck Reign of Fire Dragons. And also fuck Dragon Age Inquisition, fuck you. <laughs> for um, making you kill the dragons. Yeah, for making me kill the dragons, one. Because <laughs> I didn't want to do it. Yeah. In fact, I didn't do it. No, you didn't. No, And it's good. optional. You don't have, I is. mean, except for the one, there's like a boss battle dragon. Oh, yeah, it's an archdemon, though. This is from a video game, you guys, if, in case you're confused you're as to like, what's what, going what on. What the hell is happening right now? <laughs> um, but anyway, Dragon Age Inquisition didn't treat their dragons very well. Origins did a little better. I don't know why Inquisition just, like, ripped it away. But, like, dragons are meant to be wise, powerful, and ancient beyond our comprehending. Yeah. And that's why I didn't, like, in Dragon Age Inquisition, that I didn't have the option to, like, talk to the dragon. Right. And learn something from it. Right. Or bargain bargain with it. Old lore. And bargain with it. Yeah. And, like, maybe... And and Tolkien is very, like, even-handed with it. He's like, look, this is a being who's been alive for a really long time and he is wise and he, but the problem is he got lazy and just wanted to lay on his treasure pile. And who doesn't want to get to that point? Honestly, right. We're all smog on the inside. We're all smog. We all just want to lay on our treasure pile. I mean, isn't that a line from Childish Gambino's This is America is something along the line? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think so. No. Oh yeah. That was about something else. But anyway, (laughs) Yeah, dragons, um, I think it's interesting because you grew up with a lot of dragon lore. Yeah. And lots of books that involve dragons. Yeah, and I read fantastic a lot. creatures like unicorns mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the very few instances of dragons that I was uh, involved with in childhood, like in, were, you mentioned Reign of Fire, that was one, I guess. Ugh. But... They were more just, like, very powerful animals. Yeah. Um, Like, I don't think I even knew that they could talk until maybe I met you. Oh, you saw it with Smog Talks in The Hobbit. Oh, yeah, you're right. But, I mean, like, as a... uh, As, like, a thing that's supposed to be true of all dragons. Like, to me, Smog was, like, an outlier. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a cool dragon. You didn't read enough fantasy. No, I didn't at all. Like, fantasy, I was way more sci-fi than fantasy. Yeah. And it really flip-flops for me, because sometimes I'll go for, like, six months and read only, like, weird, hard sci-fi. Yeah. And then six months later, I'll be like, you know what? I want to just be in the land of dryads now. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's something to fantasy. And I've I've grown to really love it, um now later in life Mm -hmm. but i didn't appreciate it at all when i was a kid i was just like magic is bullshit science is cool like yeah like i get it the alchemy versus like the the, an alchemist versus a scientist yeah well i think cool but i mean i can i kind of came to the realization later on that like fantasy is basically just like science fiction but the explanation for the amazing things that happen is magic instead of science magic rather than technology and both of yeah. them are basically magic yeah exactly yeah and uh, not to say that there can't be like interesting technology in in fantasy books because yeah. there are but mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean it, they're the same basic principles as far as like a creative yeah um world goes just with different themes usually yeah. and um yeah i'm getting way more into fantasy now as i as i get older and especially being around you 
Yeah. Uh, it's almost impossible not to. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, by the movie that we're going to watch. Yeah, I like that you specifically broke podcast rule number two <laughs> by picking a, <laughs> picking a Tolkien thing to talk about. I have a feeling we're going to talk about Kate Blanchett a lot. But uh, so getting into that, what are your expectations for rewatching this movie? Um, because I also watched the animated Lord of the Rings and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like loved that too. So it was a real like for me, I was just like, should we do the Hobbit or should we do Lord of the Rings? Yeah, what made you pick the Hobbit over Lord of the Rings? Um, loved Lord of the Rings, but I feel like the Hobbit was more formative to my subconscious as it is now than Lord of the Rings was. Because yeah. Lord of the Rings is, I mean, yes. Now that I'm an adult, it is my fucking, it's primo. I love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as a kid, like, The Hobbit was way more fun. And, like, I love, love, love the depiction of Gollum in this. Oh, yeah. It's, it's creepy. It's scary. And that's why I, and I had a huge problem with the Lord of the Rings movies. De- not the animated, but the, the live action ones. Yeah, the Peter Jackson ones. The Peter, yeah. I had a huge problem with how Gollum was depicted. And that, Yeah. Um, well, that's another thing I want to talk about real quick. Uh, is Gollum in those movies as opposed to this one? Uh-huh. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll get into that when we get into the movie so that we can have a fresh on our minds take on the animated version. Sure. But just real quick. So we're watching this movie, yeah. the animated 1977 version. Yeah. You have seen the Peter Jackson Hobbit trilogy that's based off of this book. Uh, the Peter Jackson what? Hobbit trilogy? Hobbit trilogy. Oh, okay. Not the Lord of the Rings trilogy, yeah. but the, the Hobbit. No, I only saw the first one and then oh. I refused to see any more. Yeah, so I haven't seen any of them. But why did you refuse to see any more? What was... Uh, what, what was not good about uh, Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies? What do you not like? <laughs> you look like you've got a lot on your mind. I do. And you know why? Because I think about this shit too much. And yeah. it's the same <laughs> it's the same thing that happens like I try not to carry a purse because I'll leave it places because I'll be thinking about this. <laughs> like you're just like sitting there at the coffee shop thinking like, oh, "Fuck you, Peter Jackson. How the fuck did you not include goddamn this and that uh into your movies?" Bullshit. Because Peter... Okay, this is the problem I have. How are you going to cut Tom Bombadil from the fucking Lord of the Rings? I'm about to talk about Tom Bombadil. <laughs> so, and I probably have in previous episodes. So, this is the problem that I have, one, with big Hollywood studios. I don't think necessarily that it's, like, all on Peter Jackson. It's a good portion on Peter Jackson. Yeah. But it's also big Hollywood being like, make sure there's lots of battles. Yeah. It's... So... Here's here's my beef with the live action Hobbit movies and the live action Lord of the Rings movies. Peter Jackson is not focusing on the correct things. Yeah, we've talked about this before for sure. Yeah, he doesn't he's a creature guy. Like mm-hmm. if you look at his early work, he does a lot of like fun creature shock horror movies. Yeah, or that zombie movie Dead Alive with like, you know, putting lawnmowers on zombies and <laughs> Yeah. Right. Disgusting stuff. And, and so, you Trauma. know, you can knock a nail into a wall with a pair of pliers, mm-hmm. but there's a tool out there for that. <laughs> it's called a hammer. I love this metaphor. Peter Jackson is pliers. Like, he gets the job done. The nail is in the wall, but you have a few dings around the, the edge of the nail. <laughs> wow. Now, 
I'm trying to think of who would have who I would have chosen to make a Lord of the Rings movie as far as directors go. Oof. It's a hard one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like maybe to get to the Lord of the Rings that you want, it would probably have to be a female director. Yeah. Because they would be focused on... Just inherently, most male directors are going to focus on the battle aspects yeah. and the violence and the the exciting action that happens in Lord of the Rings. Which, if... I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have read the books, but there's not, not a ton much. of action in there. There's like three pages. And actually, some of my favorite parts in the books and the movies are like the the smaller moments where you like see life in Middle Earth. Like, yeah. I love Bilbo Baggins' birthday party. Like, love I, lo- it. I love that in the movie and in the book. Like, yeah. they're both great. Like, it's just like interesting ways of these characters experiencing a fantasy culture. Yep. And like the the magic is great. Like I've like, you know, moments with Saruman. You know, he's evil as fuck. Saruman, but, like, but that's the thing. Saruman isn't evil as fuck in the books. Right. And that's where Peter Jackson gets it fucking wrong. Yeah. Is that everything's too black and white. Yeah. And and Tolkien was really careful about looking at the shades of gray. Like those Uruk Hai are slaves. Mm-hmm. Like those orcs are slaves. Slave and, abominations that never asked to be born. Yep, and he's very careful about like orcs are not like good characters, but they're also like we have to understand that it's not the minions that are the problem. That's what he's trying to show. It's the fucking eye on the mount up there <laughs> who's like, don't you want unlimited power? Yeah, I mean, hashtag not all Uruks, but... Um, <laughs> Rukai. <laughs> yeah, Peter Jackson, it seemed that he, for fantasy movies, he eliminated a lot of the fantasy right? from the books, which was kind of interesting <sighs> to me. And wait, wait, I got to get to Tom Bombadil, because yeah, I well, said I was going to talk I'm about I'm leading it. you there. I'm leading you there right now. Take it home, Rachel. Take it home with Tom Bombadil. So, in the the Lord of the Rings books, there are some incredible side characters that are just rich and well-drawn and beautiful. And Peter Jackson just totally leaves them out. Yeah. Like, Bjorn, who's also... Is it Bjorn? Yeah, Bjorn, who's also in the original Hobbit, which I think they might leave it out. He's this fucking, like, ancient shapeshifter bear man who (laughs) has um, ponies that live in a stone hall with him. Awesome. And he brings these people in who are, like, nervous about him, and he's this, like, amoral elemental. And he gives them, like, warm food and a place to stay. And they, like, wake up in the middle of the night, and they see the shape of a giant bear, like, doused in blood in the moonlight. Jesus. Like, it's awesome. Yeah. And Bjorn comes back in Lord of the Rings. And so, but that's the thing. Like, he he has a dual nature, and he's really ancient and elemental, and it's cool. Right? What a cool thing. And, nope, no mention of him in Lord of the Rings or... uh, or The Hobbit with Peter Jackson. And it's the same with Tom Bombadil, who's this, like... And I think... And I really do think it's because people... They're afraid that people will be like, Well, is that an evil character? Should we chop it with a sword? <laughs> yeah, do we kill it or do we give it a hug? I don't understand. Those are the only two options. I don't know. Like, should we worship it or should we kill it? That's what I think it is. Yeah. Worship or kill in the United <laughs> States. Is what we can't even play Mary fuck kill in society. It just has to be either marry or kill. No, no... Or, yeah, worship or kill. Worship Not or kill. marry. Because yeah. you can get married to somebody you hate. 
That's true. It's worship or kill. <laughs> that's what the United that's the United States' new slogan for me. Worship or kill. <laughs> and so like I feel like they'd have Tom Bombadil is this incredible character too who is Older than, like, he was, I believe the line is, he was there when the earth was, like, conceived, was, like, born. And he's been crawling on this rock since it was born for cycle upon cycle. (laughs) And he's in love with this water nymph, this water spirit named Goldenberry. Yeah. But she's kind of, like, always out of his grasp. And he's he's unavailable anyway. So they kind of, like, live in this strange harmony. And then whenever mortals happen upon them... They're like, yeah, we're totally harmless, but we could kill the shit out of you, though. Yeah. They're just, like, they totally transcend uh, the petty squabbles of Middle-earth. Like, exactly. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't want to get involved in your fucking battle with evil Sauron who might take over the world. Like, that doesn't concern me, because I'm Tom Bombadil. I'm Tom and I'm Bombadil. above all that. <laughs> I'm above all that. that. And that's so cool that you say that, because Tolkien mentions that in in Lord of the Rings in the actual novels. Yeah. Like, these beings are just like... And even the elves, too, are kind of like, oh, fuck these squabbles of men. Yeah, they're like, let's just leave. Let's just go. Ugh. And men are so... And the problem is, men are so greedy. That's always the problem in these books. <laughs> and that's why I think I was so, like, drawn to it and it, how it shaped my worldview. Because I feel... And I'd have to do more research on this, but I feel like Tolkien saw capitalism for what it was. Yeah. Which is just like, uh, men are now strip mining the earth. Exactly. For, and for what? To build more armies. <laughs> to fight a stupid ass war amongst each other. Amongst each other for land that was never theirs. Yeah. That, that is one of the things I really like about Lord of the Rings is that in every book and, and The Hobbit as well, like, Men are weak. Men are flawed. Like, all the other races see them that way and kind of look down on them. And it's interesting to read that, especially in a society where, like, we as humans think we're, like, the highest evolved life form. Which, you know, maybe you can make an argument that that's true. Yeah. Uh, But there are other, like, super highly evolved life forms out there as well that survive just fine and are really intelligent. They just can't communicate with us. Or they... Like whales or... Elephants. Elephants, Yeah. Um, and so, like, is domination and uh, domination of the planet and the other species, like, does that make us the greatest? Are we really the best species out there? Does it matter? Like, do, does anyone care? No, we're all going to die. Yeah. Like, no, we're <laughs> gonna, all going to die. You're going to die out here. You're going to die out here. Um, is, and, and, like, that's, that's such a, and, and a really excellent point because I feel like... Um, Christians tend to latch on to Lord of the Rings and think it's some kind of, like, Jesus-y morality tale. Yeah. And it can be taken that way, I think. But, for me, the focus was always, it was so wrapped up in all, like, the pagan lore and stuff. Yeah. That I was just like, what? I mean, no. Well, yeah, I mean, so this is kind of like, we Christians... Uh, when I say we, we, I mean me being a previous Christian. Uh, we, <laughs> Ex-Christian. We Christians used to love to latch on to basically anything secular that could maybe even be uh, 
considered to have Christian themes or anything. I mean, like, this was back in the day when I was in middle school. It's like, oh, man, Creed wrote a song about this. Like, they're Christians. They're one of us. Like, it's a, oh, it's like a God. team thing. Yeah. And, like, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, he did spend time with C.S. Lewis, and they had, like... Yeah, but uh, Tolkien was Catholic. Right, right. I'm, I'm just saying... I'm just saying where the connection comes in, mm-hmm. is that, like... You know, people are like, oh, yeah, he spent a lot of time with C.S. Lewis and, like, the way that he writes these things, the themes in it. Like, of course he was a Christian. Like, you just, you want to believe that. You want to have prominent Christian uh, emissaries, almost, yeah. out there. I mean, it's it's way easier to connect with the secular world if you have, like, in, incredibly popular figures who are Christian that are a part of that world already. Or respected by that world. It makes Christianity more legitimate. So, like, that's why, you know, people would claim Tolkien or Creed or, like, all these other... The wide open! Yeah. I think, uh, who else was I think Evanescence was a band that, like, got claimed by Christianity for a little bit. And I have to stop you, because there's another small reason that I think Christians do that. It's because Christian media blows. <laughs> yeah, I do think we need to get into the Christian t-shirt business because they need some help. Oh, my Jesus. God. Jesus. Some of these fucking shirts are so lame. The jokes. Ugh. Well, ugh, and just like, I'm thinking about music specifically. Oh, yeah. You know what sucks? The band Skillet. <laughs> Skillet sucks. Oh, man. Um, Five Iron Frenzy. Oh, uh, man. Ska bands. There's a lot of Christian ska bands out there. I know, and they're annoying. I was in one. I know. <laughs> Wasn't it called Casual Fridays? Yeah, Casual Friday. They were a uh, the remainder of the amazing Skosmonauts that changed names to Casual Friday. Wow. I played bass and sang, and it was not great. I mean, but, but it was fun. I had a good, I had a really good time doing it. And then, you know, that's all that matters. And that's what Christians have been doing for centuries now. It's just, you know, I had fun. I was sorry about your culture. I had fun. <laughs> well, anyway, let's, uh, let's back off the Christianity for a little bit. Take a break. We'll take a look at this food and uh, then we'll watch the animated Hobbit. Yes. And talk about it. Be right back. Yeah. Pretty pleasant experience overall. I would say so. There was only, um, as far as problems go, it was written in the time and by a demographic that didn't really include women and didn't really think about people of color, though I would argue that the Wood Elves are people of color. Yeah, I mean, we can argue that every single race or species in this is supposed to represent some kind of a... Like a race that's in in reality, but I wouldn't argue that. Well, I think you could, but but it would come from a really racist perspective. I was gonna say, why would you want to? Yeah, well, I know, but that's the thing is, I think this movie, maybe some of the some of the species that they have in it, and J.R.R. Tolkien's species in general, just in the books, like are kind of influenced by some racist caricatures. 
Such as? You're just going to say like, it? Then don't? I mean, uh, so the dwarves in this movie are, I mean, and just in lore, are like extremely greedy, like big-nosed, uh, short characters that are miserly and have... Um, and start war over land and property. Yeah, and have, they have uh, even the outfits in this movie that some of them wear, like the armor at the end, like really evokes like Hebrew priest garb in some ways, kind of combined with like David the Gnome. <laughs> kind of. Um, I don't know that that was intentional or maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like, I feel like that's the case in the book and movie is that the dwarves are basically supposed to be Jews and they kind of screw things up for a lot of people. I mean, everybody was really mad at them. Like, and we were going to talk about this later. Everybody was really mad at them in World War One time. Like, yeah. and Tolkien probably, there was no exception to that. Um, a lot of my tribe were doing some greedy, shysterly things. Yeah, but I mean, I don't want to... But I'm not saying, no, obviously not. I, I'm just saying that, yeah, that's probably probably the case, and probably it, there's no excuse for it, but that was the reasoning for it was World War One, uh, yeah. World War One, and J.R.R. Tolkien being a World War One veteran. You know, like World War Two veterans here are racist against Japanese people. Oh, sure, yeah, and that's kind of like... So I, I don't want to full-on say that I think J.R.R. Tolkien's an anti-Semite, because I don't. I don't think he is. No, I don't think so. But I think that there was, like, some deep-seated subconscious shit that kind of came out there. Uh, Maybe. I just don't know how productive it is to talk about this sort of thing in regards to Tolkien. Because I, I feel like there's a lot of academics who love to do it. And love <laughs> are to, there really? Oh, yeah. There's lots of academics who are like, Tolkien is a problem because of this. And they're like, the Urukai are described as black. And well, well, yeah, like all the evil creatures are like dark, and all yeah. the pure and wonderful creatures are light and light skinned normally. Yeah, though he never said that about the hobbits, or and the wood elves are described as being brown. Yeah, and I thought that weren't the hobbits described as being like ruddy skinned or something They're like brown that? Brown too, like little dark people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm probably reading too much into it. I just uh, I thought just, I'd mention it off the bat. There, it's definitely. Whenever you're looking at stuff from this time period and before, it's definitely worth noting when you're like, that's sexist, that's racist. Yeah. But it's almost, for me, I just think it's like a Promethean task to apply our standards of race and gender and sexuality to it. Yeah. Like, we can roll that stone up the hill, but it's just going <laughs> to roll back down again over and over and over again. You know? It's true. And anyway, I'm getting off track because what we're supposed to be doing right now is for you to give us that sweet, sweet DVD blurb that's oh. on the back of the box. Um, let's see. That's always so hard. <laughs> Especially when it's something I actually like. Yeah. Well, I mean, be as accurate with it as you choose. Like, it doesn't have to be... Uh, some kind of clever rib. Like, you love this movie. I do love this movie. Yeah. And for good reason, I think. Yeah. Um, I would say with, with the help of a battle mage, <laughs> a short-statured hero emerges from his comfortable hobbit hole to have an adventure because without risk... Uh, we become complacent. Yeah, 
That's so nice. And yeah, I think the... It. Yeah, you know what? Let's jump right into that. Because, like, I feel like this movie is really good for kids, I think, in a yeah. lot of ways. And most of it has to do with the messaging of this movie. Yeah. There are a lot of really good lessons to learn. Yeah. And they're kind of the core of the movie. And I think one of the biggest ones that we kind of started talking about there for a second is um, the consequences of greed. Yeah. Which is something that I think is extremely helpful for our society, especially today. Yeah. To see a character who is content with what they have, be, that being Bilbo Baggins, the Hobbit. Right. And, and I would say he wasn't necessarily content with what he had because he did want to go on that adventure. Like right, he craved exactly. adventure, but his the the cultural the the cultural things that people in the Shire um find valuable are completely on the other end of what man and dwarf and elf find valuable. Yeah. And I guess I should just jump to the end and say that like, you know, when Bilbo gets a chance to take his fourteenth portion of smog's treasure like he takes two bags and he says you know this is more than i'll ever need like i don't i don't need to take that other stuff it's all my pony hat could carry gandalf like he's happy to be um to just have what you know he has to be comfortable he doesn't need to have more and more and more and in fact the people in this movie that do want to do that end up getting in a lot of trouble they do and it's also worth noting that hobbits whenever in the book and uh, in the Lord of the Rings, like Hobbit lore is that Hobbits, you know, their flaws are that they like to eat too much. They're a little bit lazy. They bicker with each other. Yeah. But they don't fucking start wars over <laughs> shit that was never theirs. Yeah, like they have flaws that can be, uh, that need to be overcome and yeah. um, room for improvement, I think is a, a good yeah. way to put it. Hobbits have room for improvement. <laughs> yeah. But, um,. But, I mean, Bilbo seeks that, or that improvement seeks him out, I yeah. guess, in this movie. Because he's kind of, like, foisted the role of burglar for these dwarves uh, to steal a, a dragon's gold is kind of foisted upon him by yeah. Gandalf. And uh, it's important to note that, like, in uh, a lot of the lore behind Gandalf, like, in this movie, Gandalf just shows up and he's like, you dude, you're going to be a burglar. Um and it's it's like that in the book, but there is some background there that Gandalf um, knew Bilbo's relatives, like his ancestors, in the past. Oh, yeah. And his ancestors, it was always rumored that on his mother's side there was fairy blood, because and his mm. mother was a took. And <laughs> it's, and like, Pippin is a took. Yeah. And they're kind of foolish and flighty, and they want, they want to go out and seek adventure and... Yeah. Um, they're not just content sitting in their hobbit holes. Right. Those Bagginses always getting into trouble. No, no, not the Bagginses. That was his but dad's the, side. The right, right. But in the in the terms of the Hobbit and mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, they kind of become... They do. The Baggins' name kind of becomes associated with too. adventure. Yeah, yeah. And with the Took name, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I really... I like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's great. Um... Like, we have a reluctant hero. I mean, before the credits, the opening credits even start, it's like, I kind of liked how they did that in the movie. They show us Bilbo in his comfortable life. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe, like, 
15 seconds before Gandalf comes and ruins it all. Yeah. Like, he shows, like, we're, we're just barely getting our bearings in this, like, really peaceful and beautiful looking scene in the yeah. Shire. And he's like, uh, I mean, Peter Jackson basically ripped the design, like, right straight out. from this cartoon and just he built did. a model of it. He did. Um, which is fine, because I like the design. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, but, yeah, we're in there for, like, 15 seconds, and before we can even sigh in relief and be like oh this is nice like there Gandalf is and he's like you're coming on a fucking adventure yeah uh where you're gonna steal a dragon's gold and not only that but Gandalf I feel like Peter Jackson's Gandalf is too like cuddly yeah um this Gandalf is appropriately awe-inspiring and a little bit scary but at the same time dryly humorous yeah I feel like he has a job to do that I don't know if he enjoys doing it or not, but it's, he's forced to do this job mm-hmm. of like kind of making things happen in the movie yeah. and in and just in Middle Earth, like not from a filmmaking perspective, but yeah. like from a uh, like world building perspective. Yeah. Like I feel like he as a wizard has like responsibilities that we can't understand, and so he's yeah. going around like forcing all these people to be a part of prophecies and uh, and legends and stories and. That kind of makes him, like, more than human in a lot yeah, of Yeah, and, you know, and it's never quite clear in Tolkien's world whether wizards are human or not. But mm-hmm. they do have an abnormal lifespan. And we can tell from Gollum that magic can turn anyone into anything. Yeah. Which is fucking <laughs> terrifying. So, yeah, you mentioned Gollum. I know that uh, you hate Peter Jackson's Gollum. Hate it. Oh, we're already going to talk about Gollum. Yeah, let's get into okay. it. I mean, it's a good segue while we're while we're here getting into it. Sure. Um, so let, let's describe describe what you like about this Gollum, and then I'm going to describe what I like about Peter Jackson's Gollum. Oh, that's the game, is it? That's the game. Yeah, let's see. Well, let's see how it works. Can I also describe what I dislike about Peter yes, Jackson's? Yes, you can. But we'll do that after. Or no, no. Yes, do it right now. The likes and dislikes of each Gollum. Okay. Um, This golem I have no dislikes with. None at all? uh, None. I think that it's nearly a perfect representation for me. Yeah. Um, And that's because in the book, um, and I was saying this earlier, in the book, the way that Gollum is first introduced to us and described is that you can't really tell exactly what he looks like. Yeah. But he's paddling across this completely tepid, still, opaque, black lake in the bottom of a goblin cave. <laughs> yeah. And, and the only thing that Bilbo can see is his eyes, which look like lamps. Mm-hmm. They're huge. And they're like reflecting light back at him. And he's terrifying. Uh, and so, like, I think he did a, they did a really good job capturing this, like, he still looked like he was once a human being. Yeah. But he's so much more grotesque and uh, hideous. Yeah. Than Peter Jackson's Gollum, and he com- <laughs> he comes up, and the voice actor was really selling it. I feel like, and the the Gollum noise that he makes, which sounded like Peter Jackson sounded like he was hawking up a hairball. Yeah, was just like scary and sort of bassy. He was like Gollum, Gollum. And you're yeah. like, oh fuck. Like, well, why the fuck are you saying that? Yeah. What purpose does it serve? And then he, like, paddles back and he's like, my birthday present. <laughs> you're like, shit, what is this guy talking about? And in the book, I remember thinking that, too. Like, what does he mean, his birthday present? Yeah. And you really want to find out later what Gollum is talking about when he says, this is my birthday present. Yeah. 
And he's just, like, scary and... He's got unnatural movement, and he's greedy and snatchy, but still a little human. But the kind of human humanity you would expect living in an opaque cave lake with a fucking raw fish <laughs> to eat, and sometimes you drag a golem, goblin drown, down to drown. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's scary as shit. And that's why Peter Jackson's didn't do it for him, because he was too human-looking. He had, like, cute blue eyes, like Disney eyes. Yeah. I was um, just thinking the word Disney eyes in, in my head while you were saying that. And that's why it made it so much less remarkable whenever Frodo was like, let's help him and call him Smeagol. Yeah. Because he kind of looked all right, you know? <laughs> Think about it. If you had a creature that looked like the one in this animated feature, like, not even... What the fuck? You know? Yeah. This looks like an X-Files creature. He looks like a fish man. He looks like a fucking terrifying fish man with a mouthful of sharp teeth. Yeah. And you're bringing him along with you on this mountain? <laughs> like, no. Like, yeah, I think that does make it um, more effective uh, as a character trait for Frodo. Yes. To be like, let's spare this like hideous monster rather than like, let's spare this decaying person yeah um or this like broken person yeah because like it's so i mean it's so much easier to see redemption in like a humanoid that like actually looks like it could maybe you know kick the drugs and it'll look good in 30 days type of thing <laughs> that's funny but, that you say that because i wrote because i want to talk about Gollum as a representation of a junkie yeah well, and that is a really good point so real quick i want to talk about what i like and dislike oh, yeah, about yeah, the golems so, for Peter Jackson's Gollum, which is not my favorite Gollum, I actually prefer the cartoon one. Um, oh, good. But there is, like, I feel like, uh, if you remember from the first uh, Peter Jackson movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, uh -huh. there's a scene where they're crawling through, I think, Moria or something, mm -hmm. and um, Gollum is, like, following them through the darkness, and it's kind of just a, an aside that Gandalf is like, oh, there's... That thing's been following us for days. Like, oh, you know, yeah. It's, that's Gollum. You know, he's coming for the ring. Whatever. <laughs> I knew uh, this. But it shows Gollum in the shadows with his eyes, yeah. like, kind of backlit. And I really loved that image I did in the too. first movie. Yeah, I liked And so that. I Because it was so creepy. And it's just like what you were describing with, like, the... Almost like... Um, the the lighted prism eyes in the, in the darkness just coming across a lake. Yeah. Which is... Which is scary and really cool. And then I was severely disappointed by the second movie when it's like, oh, he's just like, you know, he's a meth, a meth head. Like, he's just a little crackhead. Yeah, like, uh, you know, get him some food and get him off those drugs and he'll, he'll look like Andy Serkis again in, in, no time. in like four weeks. So the one thing, so that one image from the first movie is the one thing that I really like about yeah. Gollum's appearance uh, in the movies. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I know we've talked about this in private, that I love Andy Serkis, who yeah. is the motion capture actor for Gollum, and he does King Kong and uh, some video game work and stuff like that. I love him as an actor. I think he's amazing, and I think his motion capture stuff is great. And so I like that part of Gollum, just like the physicality of it, uh, and kind of like the, uh, the, the primitive, like, savage nature of him moving around and just the way that he he carries himself see i don't like that yeah um i think i like andy circus and i think he's extremely talented 
but I don't think this is the right representation for Gollum. I think he's, mm. he moved too fast. Like, he moved far too fast, and he was far too agile, and... I'll say that for sure, yeah. I, I do think that that's a, a criticism I could give it. He does move yeah. a little too fast. Like, Gollum's been in the bottom of a cave. <laughs> he's strong enough... He's not strong enough to face a goblin head-on. Yeah. Like, they straight up say that in the Yeah, book. he's been, like, sneaking up on them in the dark and breaking their necks and... Yeah, and then... Uh, or drowning them. Or drowning them, yeah. Like, he's a, he's a creepy, sneaky bastard. Um, so and he not, doesn't, like, dart out of places. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I, I, that's, I mean, and that's nitpicking, I suppose. Yeah, so then we move to this animated version of Gollum. I love mm-hmm. the fish monster uh, nature of it. Yeah. Um, if I had a criticism of that, it would actually be that I wish it had gone further. Really? Uh, that he looked, like, more mutated and uh, possibly, you know, like, webbed fingers and feet and... He did have webbed fingers. Uh, not in this movie, though, did he? Mm-hmm. He had webbed fingers. Maybe they were, like, short, and I kind of missed them. I, yeah. no, I noticed his, like, clawed hands. And I thought, I mean, that's great. Uh, but he had webs. Okay. Yeah. Well, I wish that he had been just more fish-like and less humanoid. See, I think that it was perfect. I think it was the perfect amount. Yeah. Because, I, like, too much fish, and you wouldn't be able to tell that he was at one time a person. I guess that's just one of the things I remember about Gollum mm-hmm. in the book. And in, uh, I guess in the book in particular, because it talks about him eating... Um, raw like fish. raw fish just out of the pond in the bottom of the cave. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I, when I picture Gollum, I actually picture a dead fish that's been like, you know, you can see its bones and stuff more so than I picture some kind of a humanoid creature. I guess I just associate him with dead fish so much that maybe that's another reason I like this animated Gollum is because his head kind of looks like a, a fish head. Kind of fishy, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Or Frogman or something. Yeah. But anyway, uh, moving on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I said I wanted to talk about, before we get off of Gollum, Gollum as a representation of a junkie. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and I think that it's a really interesting, like, interpretation of, like, because Gollum, and especially Gollum in Lord of the Rings... Is that he comes and he's like, I'll do better, I'll do better, I swear I'll do better. And then he just fucking, he wants that ring so bad, he'll rip Frodo, Frodo's hand off and fall into a volcano for it. Yeah, the guy who's been feeding him. Yeah, the guy who's been feeding him and helping him. Clubbing him, him. Yeah. yeah. Granted, he did have him on a rope for a while. Yeah, but I mean, you gotta do that with addicts sometimes. You like, gotta put you him on a rope. Well, you can't give them complete freedom sometimes. It's like, true. If, they, if they're gonna try and kill you, like, you might have to, you know, restrain them yeah. a little bit. Remove them from society or whatever for just a short period. But understanding that like that's the addiction and the disease and not the the person underneath. But that person does have involvement with it, so right. you know, they need consequences. Exactly. And I think Gollum was such a is such a a good representation of what addiction is. Like you're totally enslaved to this thing and it drives you into a dark place that you have yeah. to stay and live like an animal. Yeah, it makes me curious if like maybe Tolkien had experience with maybe war buddies or even himself. With alcohol uh, or something. Who what I'm sorry. With alcohol or something? Yeah, alcohol or maybe like morphine yeah. or um some kind of opiate addiction. Yeah. Uh, which was gaining prevalence in that mm-hmm. time, especially with it like was. Yeah, like opium dens and stuff were kind of becoming a, a thing uh, around uh, Roaring Twenties, Great Depression era, which he did write it around that time. Is that correct? I 
believe it was 1919. Oh, okay. So a little sooner. But I think that stuff was going on before... I think later. that I think opium had been around in the States since, like, at least the Wild West. Yeah, I mean, laudanum um, and stuff. Yeah, and laudanum, But too. he wasn't in the States. He was in the UK. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. But in... Uh, well, then, in that case, in then especially, most like, yeah. in Victorian England, like, yeah, people were getting fucked up all the time. <laughs> yeah, let me get fucked up on this. <laughs> With uh, imports from the Empire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's... That's likely. Yeah, so I wonder if that was a, a, a personal experience that he had had. I wonder, too. That'd be interesting to, to find out. Yeah, because it, it does seem to be pretty accurate and a pretty good metaphor. Yeah, jeez, for, for real. Um, so I guess let's rewind, and let's... For me, I kind of want to talk about, um, like, at the beginning of the movie... Whenever, first of all, I want to talk about the songs and yeah, a lot of songs, in lots, this lots of songs, lots of great songs. <laughs> um, but my one of my favorite songs is that that's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Yeah, the very beginning. Yeah, and watch the cups and crack the plates. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates, <laughs> and it's just like these dwarves giving Bilbo a really hard time because he's such a control freak and he doesn't want them to crack his plates even though they're helping him wash up. Yeah. And so they make fun of him by singing a song. <laughs> and sometimes whenever Jordan is grumpy about uh, doing a chore... Which or, is often. <laughs> or really anything, like just grumpy. Sometimes just grumpy to be alive most of the time. <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, that's what Jordan Baggins hates. <laughs> I think I deserve better than this. I deserve better than this shitty world. It's too hot outside. It's too hot. I don't want to be... My legs hurt. Yeah. Well, my legs do hurt. Um, uh. Yeah. So, I'll say this about the songs. I really appreciate that they exist. And I mm-hmm. think that they're uh, decently written. My my big problem with them, though, is that I feel like they're severely dated. Like, what? Yeah. I mean... They sound like they're from the year 1977. They do. And they sound like they were written by a human being in 1977. They don't sound like they were written by, you know, elves in Middle Earth, like, thousands of years before the first man. Or, like, you know... I would say... Like, songs that have been carved in the rock of deep, dark places that no one should go. Uh, um, but that, that's not... I would say that that would be more of a criticism for Lord of the Rings and less for The Hobbit. Um, because we didn't really visit, like, Minas Tirith. I mean, we went to Mirkwood, which was pretty pretty scary. Yeah. Um, but really, like, the really like the dark places in the Earth where, like, the Balrog come out, that's not to Lord of the Rings. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like... So I'm using that as an example, and I don't mean specifically that there should have been a song that was, like, that evil. <laughs> I would say the Goblin song was pretty great. Yeah, but I felt like it should have been more evil. It felt like a 1970s song. Maybe. Written by, like, some studio people. Some some of, I would say, like, the, the, the fucking opening song definitely sounds like it's like the da, 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 oh yeah da, da. that one is the most egregious offender yeah that one sounds definitely like a 70s song but the goblin song is rad and i, I mean sabbath was coming around at this time and i feel like there was some fucking <laughs> some doom metal tendrils happening some Aussie there. in there yeah yeah I, I think you might be right i mean it was it sounded sinister and it was uh it sounded foreboding mm-hmm. um 
I don't know. I guess I just wish that this movie was made for, like, brutal adults. <laughs> Instead of children? Instead of children. Um, though I do think it's a good children's movie. You want to do a gritty reboot of The Hobbit? I mean, just the songs. Like, they need to sound more evil when the goblins are coming up. They need and, to have a black uh, metal singer. Like, a guy with a really good growl. And less less folky in some places because a lot of this sounds folky i think a lot of it needs to sound folky. i think so too with like you know bilbo like stuff that's going on in the shire or like in a sunny wood somewhere but when you're going through and like a dangerous enchanted forest Mm -hmm. like i feel like it needs to have folk influence but also just be i don't know there's well we're talking about it from 2018 too with a, a vast array of more options of music we yeah, have to, if we place ourselves in 1977 when it was made. So you're scapegoating the budget here? Is that what's going on? What? You're saying the budget is the, the reason that we couldn't get that stuff? The budget? Or like access to... No, it's because we're in 2018. And this was made in 1977. Yeah, I know. But when, if you're in 1977 making this movie and you're like, well, this is what we've got. We've got a guitar and this guy... Yeah, well, and that's all that existed in 1977. Not necessarily because of the budget, but because metal didn't exist then. Not metal. I don't want it to be metal. I want it to be... Uh, I just want it to be better produced for the songs. Oh, then I do. If that's what you wanted, then blame the budget because no one's going to give enough money for them to like... <laughs> also, think about the recording equipment in 1977. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking. But yeah, so you can't, I would, can't blame something made in 1977 for sounding like it's made in 1977. I just mean, like, maybe we should get somebody, like... I'm trying to think of a, a good composer who could, like, redo all the songs in this movie. And, uh... I don't know. Not, Count like... Vishnak. Not John Williams. He's a little too, like... Oh, not John Williams at all. He's a little too, uh, exciting. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we'd have to figure something out. Philip Glass, maybe. <laughs> I don't want to figure anything out. I think it's fine. Alexander Desplat. That's the composer we need to do. <laughs> oh my god, yes, from birth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, maybe not. Yeah, that, I think that he could compose the correct music. And you know what? That's a project that I want to kickstart. We're gonna get, we're gonna get money raised, and we're gonna redo all the songs from The Hobbit. Leave everything else the same, and just when a song starts, we just you know cut cut in the new one. <laughs> Okay, we'll pay Alexander Desplat to do that for us. Yeah, for sure. Alexander Desplat, if you ever hear this. I don't know. How much does that cost? $50,000? Come on, guys. Give us $50,000, and I promise we'll get this taken care of. So that we can get Alexander Desplat to rewrite the score to the animated Hobbit from 1977, (laughs) because Jordan thinks it sounds like it's too much from 1977. (laughs) It's the one part of the movie that I feel like needed... Like, if that if that was more timeless, then this movie would be more timeless. I think it feels stuck in the 70s. Yeah, I would say it needs more Hammer Dulcimer. Yeah, there you go. Like, that alone. <laughs> like, some, some exo- more exotic or fantastical sounding yeah. instruments other than... Some guy in his guitar. An acoustic guitar. I agree with that. Yeah, there you go. That's an that's an amazing idea, just right there. We don't need the. I mean, we still need fifty thousand dollars, guys. So send that. But <laughs> yeah, send we're going to use it for you know to pay us to to compose it. Well, and we're going to. Yeah, we have to buy 
10,000 hammer dulcimers. <laughs> yeah, we're kickstarting my hammer dulcimer lessons. I need yeah. $50,000 to buy and learn to play a hammer dulcimer. <laughs> okay, so who's with us? <laughs> anyway. Are we going to get a lute as well? Maybe an, maybe an ocarina? Oof. Maybe a, a big old sheepskin wardrum. Or we can get pretty exotic. We'll get a didgeridoo. <laughs> You play the war drum, I'll play the didgeridoo. Actually, that sounds great. I think there is a metal band that does that. We'll call ourselves didgeridoo-dah. We need to stop this right now. Let's talk <laughs> we'll play ins- for Disney. <laughs> instead, let's talk about... I want to talk about some of the, um, like the naming conventions in these movies. Oh, yeah. Like the Lonely Mountain. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at, trying to find some other stuff that's like... The Men of Dale. Men of Dale, Yeah. Um, Orcrist, the the goblin cleaver. Yeah, no, or what's the the faux hammer? Oh yeah, that was a glamdring, the faux hammer. Yes. What a fucking awesome name for a sword. Yes, forever. But all of that credit goes to Tolkien. All of it goes to Tolkien. This movie, had, I mean, but this movie took the time to to, to show us the names of the weapons. Yeah. Which and I'll that, give it that. Because that's important. I, I do like that. That's one of the things that I think is so powerful about Tolkien's fantasy is that he created such a deep world that there's like so many things that have gone on. The, the world is lived in. There's history to it. Yeah. And like peop, some people know that history and enjoy it just as much as the reader does. Yeah. Uh, like there are whole, like, I mean, Gandalf alone, like does research to find out about the One Ring and mm-hmm. learns about all kinds of cool shit. But I mean, the... Like, it's just such a such a complex world that Tolkien built. Right, and he left no, like, detail unturned. It doesn't feel unfinished, it doesn't feel rushed, and none of it feels contrived to, like, move the plot forward. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there are parts in there where you, that this is what some people criticize about Tolkien, is that they think, they're like, oh, these descriptions of forests. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, oh, but that's the best part. Yeah, I think... Some people would describe it as piddle farting around. That's what Tolkien does, is he piddle farts around. I love piddle farting um, with you, to- Tolkien. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly... I got one foot over the line into the camp of... He goes on a little too long. Cause I, Y'all are just impatient. I, I am an impatient person, I'll grant you that. But I think that it's still over long. Um... I think that it is, I think it should stay what it is. I don't think it should be changed by anyone and someone release like an abridged version. But I don't know. I think that it could have been better if that same writer had edited himself just a little bit. I disagree. I know, you love it. And I think that's who he wrote it for, is he wrote it for you. He's a, I mean, he was a linguist. So, yeah, he was. like, that makes sense. Like, I mean, he knows so many different languages and how they were constructed. Yep. Um, and he was, he was a poet and a painter. And, like, I feel like so many things are not allowed to be for other artists and right. other creative types. There's so many things that just aren't allowed to be that. And I think that, like, this is a thing that I'm so glad was left unedited because yeah. it's like, it gives me a place for respite for a little bit. I just kind of, I almost lump Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit into, and especially the Silmarillion into the realm of like epic poetry, like yeah. such as like Gilgamesh you or could something. Argue that. And like, I can understand the value of something like Gilgamesh, but I never ever 
ever want to read it. What? Uh, Gilgamesh is awesome. The story is awesome, but have you ever, like, I mean, not you, because you're an abnormal monster crazy person who will read Gilgamesh and comprehend it from start to finish. Did everybody hear that? He just called me... Some kind of ugly bitch monster. Like, so, so most of us, most normal human beings, when we crack open Gilgamesh or we crack open the Odyssey or Atlas Shrugged, no, like, you don't you dare lump Atlas Shrugged in with that. <laughs> don't you dare because it's that's, just it's similar no, in terms of no, it's not. in terms of the way that when you read it, you immediately zone out no. and you comprehend maybe like three sentences a page. Fuck that. The only reason that people can't comprehend Atlas Shrugged is because it's poorly executed. <laughs> because Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, whatever the fuck, yeah. was not a good writer. <laughs> it's true. But, I mean, you have to admit that some of these really old texts that do have a ton of value, I mean, Dante's Inferno or uh, Gilgamesh, the Bible... Um, tons of these old works that do have, you know, impressive literary styles to them that are valued, especially in the classroom, are very difficult to read on just a day-to-day basis. Well, they're not meant to and be... And enjoy. They're not meant to be, like... Enjoyed? Scarf, <laughs> scarfed down the way that you enjoy a McDonald's hamburger. I don't think that they're meant to be slowly savored over a couple of uh, like a couple of months i think they're meant to be like poured over and yeah um and investigated and studied and researched and like that is a very different reading experience than say uh you know stephen king right but also we have to understand that kilgamesh was written a real long time ago. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but if we think about even that, like, who was Gilgamesh written for? Because most people couldn't re- couldn't even read. Yeah, but it, they had stuff read to them. They did. And they had, but I mean, even Gilgamesh got turned into, like, plays that they would perform to make it simpler for more common folk, such as me, to understand. <laughs> like, I need the Cliff's Notes version sure. of sure. some of those things. Sure. And uh, I'm not saying Lord of the Rings is that. But I'm saying it's getting closer to that than it is to, like, a Stephen King novel. Well, good. I hope it does. <laughs> because I don't think that everything has to be... Good. I don't think that everything has to be ground down into a palatable paste for every motherfucker. No, I don't think so either. But I just, I, I'm confused as to what Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit... Because, like, I mean, The Hobbit is ostensibly for children. Yeah, he wrote it for his kid. For yeah. his son. And kids can enjoy The Hobbit. It's true. I enjoyed the shit out of The Hobbit when I was a kid. But there, the book is definitely a good one to read someone to sleep. Because I there disagree. Are, uh, we know from personal experience, Rachel, that when Lord of the Rings is read to you out loud, you fall asleep. Anything is read to me out loud, <laughs> I fall asleep. You could be reading fucking some kind of literatica and I would be asleep. I don't think so. I don't think that's true Are at all. Are you fucking kidding me? If I were to read you a John Grisham novel, you I, would be on the edge of your seat. <laughs> I would be asleep forever because I'd blow my own brains out. Yeah. But Michael Crichton? No way. Michael Freaking, Crichton is boring. Michael Crichton is the best. I, I love Michael Crichton so, so much. I know that it's not like the most 
super intelligent read ever. And he's not a very good writer, honestly. He's a good researcher, but he's not a good writer. Um, but his story ideas are awesome. And I do want to know what happens next. Okay. And I don't have to do any... I don't have to have three reference books and Here's another... a college class... Here's another rule. No more talking about Michael Crichton in this podcast. But that's going to be really hard when we watch Jurassic Park. and Yeah, uh, well, it would have been really hard to not talk about Lord of the Rings with, true, when true. we watch this. So you just wait your turn. <laughs> no more Michael Crichton talk. Oh, okay, so I want to talk about um, my mov- children's movies being dark. Yeah. Um. And, like, how movies in the 70s and 80s weren't as afraid to, like, scare the shit out of us growing up. Versus, like, I'm thinking of Moana and yeah. Finding... Coco that and, we saw recently. Yeah, like, none of that stuff is scary at all, really. And that's kind of surprising because Coco deals with him literally going to the afterlife to deal with, like, dead relatives and stuff. Like, there was nothing frightening about that movie at all. No. There's a lot of sadness and... Manipulation. Manipulation. Which I enjoyed thoroughly. You love being manipulated. Oh, I bawled like a baby. You were there. I was sobbing. I know. And I was like, it was, I'm glad to see you sob, but I was more <laughs> more sad because uh, I have never seen you sob for like anything real. Oh, yeah. Except Coco. Like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh. No, we've, I've, I've cried before. It's been a long time, but oh, yeah? yeah. I just missed it. No, you were there. I was there? Yeah, yeah. I'm a bad wife. <laughs> no, no, we, I think we were drunk at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I do remember that. Yeah. That was a really long time ago. Oh, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the positive side of me would say that I have my emotions under control. The negative no, side don't. of me would The negative side of me would say that uh, you know, I have some emotional stunting and issues, <laughs> issues. that I need to work through. Um, you let you have some of your emotions under under control. Yeah, <laughs> don't have my rage under control. Well, it's a lot better than it was. I will say that's true. Anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Bilbo. But I love talking about me. I know you do. So <laughs> one of the ideas that I wanted to um, Jordan stop. One of the ideas that I wanted to talk about too was um, the idea of the protagonist as an empathetic noticer. Rather than yeah. a sword-wielding dominator. Yeah. Um, and how Bilbo doesn't... Bilbo doesn't get the dwarves out of messes by, like, charging in with a sword. Mm-mm. Um, what he does is he notices. And that's how he got a hold of the, the ring. Yeah. The one true ring that he just thought was a fucking souvenir to take home. Yeah. That's how he gets them out of the, the jam with the... With the trolls. Mm-hmm. That's how he gets him out of the jam with the goblins. He just notices things. Yeah. Um, and then he uses... And that's how he gets him out of whenever the wood elves imprison him. Right, right. And I think that's interesting, too, especially thinking it in the same vein as, like, Gandalf. Yeah. With, like, you know, why did Gandalf choose Bilbo to be a part of this group in the first place? Because right. they've got 13 dwarves that are all, like... Um, I don't. Is warriors a, a a good way to describe them? I mean, they do all wage war. Yeah, uh, they're warriors. Yeah, so thirteen warriors, and then a hobbit. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it, it's kind of the lesson is meant to tell us that, like, hey, there are things that are more important than physical strength, right. and more important than you know aggression 
or yeah. uh, initiative. But like sometimes just being passive and just you know listening and looking and just seeing like observing the world around you, just taking it in yeah. has value. Yeah. Has and lots I think of value. I can totally see that as being a huge influence in your life. Yeah. Because you do often notice many things. Like we're walking around, you find money everywhere. I do like, find money everywhere. Anytime, anytime we're walking, Rachel finds money on the ground. Or like we're at a Pink Floyd show, it's like pure darkness and people screaming. And like in a flash of a strobe light, Rachel's like, hey, there's $60. Yeah. Just snatches it up. Like how the, I don't know how the fuck you notice this stuff when there's like a huge stage show going on right in front of you. Oh, yeah, but. And you're like, oh, money on the ground. But that's how you find, that's how you get through life is you like sit back and just listen and notice. And then you can make a really, like you reduce your risk a lot. True. And make really calculated decisions because you you have all the information that you need. Or yeah. at least enough of it that it, you feel comfortable making the decision. But, like, that's exactly... I have that philosophy I, I did inherit from Tolkien, I think. Which is, think like, so. you don't always have to act immediately to be heroic. Yeah. You know? And there, you can miss things by, like, being impatient mm-hmm. and, like... Uh, no, I, I don't know if, like, act, I would say actively searching is, like, a a bad thing but like in some ways like yeah charging in um moving too quickly Mm -hmm. um can be a downside i mean like when they're looking for the keyhole to the secret entrance yeah like they only they only find it once they finally like take a break and kind of just enjoy their surroundings for a while all the dwarves are sleeping and he like kind of looks up and just sees oh you know we're we're here and well the thrush was knocking yeah and he was like was that annoying bird smashing snails? And <laughs> yeah, then he's oh like, yeah, that's oh right. yeah, Elrond told me this thing. Oh, that's something else I want to talk about. The, the elves. I want to talk about all the different races in this, especially compared yes. to Peter Jackson's Lord yes. of the Rings. Because one thing I really love about this animated version, and of course Tolkien's original version, is how different and alien uh, the other species are. Yeah. Because in Peter Jackson's movies, I mean, elves are basically you know, wise humans with pointy ears. Beautiful, uh, wise humans. Beautiful, wise humans with pointy ears. Goblins are basically like, you know, dark, tainted versions of that. Uh, just warmongering, mm-hmm. um, like, ugly humans. Dwarves are short, stocky humans. Yeah. Uh, hobbits are like... Slender, stock, slender <laughs> short humans. Slender short humans. Yeah, they're all freaking human-based. Yeah. But in this... Um, Everything, is, I mean, the elves have, like, he, Elrond has, like, a crown of stars. Yes. The, and is, like, he's so much more mystical, and he feels like a like an ethereal creature. He does. The goblins are, like, hardly recognizable as humanoid, other than the fact that they have two arms and two legs, but they're, like, horned and have yeah. Giant enormous jaws. heads. Yeah, with huge jaws that are, like, as big as their torsos. Um, with sharp teeth the wood elves even are like kind of uh almost ape-like and yeah um, and thin and tall and like yeah they're they're green-skinned yeah and like hobbits and dwarves both have like big bulbous noses and Mm -hmm. like they look like 
different species. They do. Like, they don't feel like they all came from a common ancestor like they do in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Right. And I think that lends itself a lot to good fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I I want to I do like to talk about and I actually had that that was the next thing on my list was the elven depict the elvish depictions yeah yeah with uh, the wood elves especially yeah um, and so there are different I'm trying to think of the word to use um, they're not different races of they're different subtypes of elves in Tolkien um, Elrond is and um, oh shit. Arwen. Um, Elrond and Arwen are high elves. Right. And and so is Galadriel. And what uh, Tolkien describes them as is like tall, thin, very fair. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very mystical. Um, and they and they're so they're so old that they don't really have as much time for man's foolishness. And I would say this animated version checks all those boxes. Oh yeah, the Crown of Stars is so awesome and like he has white hair yeah and like huge blue eyes and he's they're they're a lot more they almost are a lot more dignified yeah in this um and and i would say in tolkien's version the wood elves described in the book legolas is supposed to be a wood elf he right. looks like a fucking high elf <laughs> yeah, I, re- yeah, yeah. I remember you having a big criticism of that with what, the... and what the fuck that's like the nerdiest criticism ever <laughs> just being like he's supposed to be a wood elf like, but he looks like a high elf yeah. and Wood elves are supposed to be brown and small and mm-hmm. quick and um, they're craftier. And they even have like French, Frenchish accents in this. Yeah. Um, they're a di- but, and so they're just different, you know. They're a different sub-race of elves. Yeah. But even in this, you can see how they and the high elves uh, have like a common ancestor. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so... I think that's the problem. Peter Jackson doesn't take time to, like, differentiate even between orcs and uruks and elves and different, like, subgenre of elves. Um, And and it's something that just makes the world so that much richer. And it makes me trust Tolkien a lot more, trust the story a lot more. Yeah, I mean, so Peter Jackson's movie, you know, I like it for what it is, but it really is, like, fantasy light. Like, even reading the original source material, and especially going further out and reading, like, some crazy-ass fantasy, like, Dragon Riders of Pern, or Mm -hmm. Wheel of Time, or any of these other, like, awesome fantasy series, like, there is so much more actual fantastical elements to them, whereas in Peter Jackson's movie, it's like, here's good creature and bad creature, and they're gonna fight each other. They fight. This one's big, that one's small. They're going yeah. to fight each other. Yeah. Like, there's basic magic, but it's not, like... It's, it's not really done in an interesting or, or new way. Like, no. Tolkien. Like, Tolkien actually did it. And, like, Sauron... Or Sauron. Sauron and Gandalf did not have a wizard fight. That <laughs> yeah. didn't happen in the book. <laughs> like, Sauron went, well, fine, then you'll, you'll freeze on the top of my tower and just threw him out there. Yeah. That's what actually happened. There was no wizard fight. I will say I did like that wizard fight, though. I mean, who doesn't like a wizard fight? Yeah. But I, <laughs> it, 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 it changed a lot of the implications for both Saruman and Gandalf because they were friends. They were buddies. And why no Radagast? Oh, they did do a Radagast in the Hobbit movie, and he's awful. Yeah. Awful depiction of Radagast. Awful. Anyway, we're talking about the Hobbit. (laughs) 
And I think that what I, I also want to bring, think about this idea, because um, I, I think about Bilbo as the protagonist a lot. Sure. And one of the things I was thinking about is the unusual versus the chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as particularly male protagonists go. Um, and and I actually wrote Bilbo versus Neo. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Neo from The Matrix is like, he's the chosen one, right? Yeah. Harry Potter's the chosen he's one. He's the chosen chosen one. Anakin Skywalker's the chosen the one. The chosen one. And I think Bilbo Baggins is a really interesting subversion on this. Mm-hmm. Because he's not chosen. He's dragged into this shit. <laughs> he's super reluctant. And he's, rather than people noticing him because he's quote-unquote chosen, they notice him because he's unusual. Like, when the do- the trolls pick him up, they're like, what is this? Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Um... And that's the same, like, smog in the book um, was smelling the air. And he's like, you're not an elf. You're not a man. Yeah. You're not a dwarf. And what I think he, are you? Yeah, I think even in this movie he says, I've never smelled someone like you before. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so he's unusual. He's he's not chosen, but his unusualness makes him the right one for the job. True. And so I thought that was just really interesting. That is interesting. It's definitely different than what we get nowadays. Like, a lot of times, like, if something interesting is happening to somebody, it's because they're part of some big prophecy. Right. Or, like, they're the center of something. Right. And, like, although Bilbo becomes the center of something, you never feel like he really had to be. Right. Like, you maybe feel like Gandalf got him into it because he knew it would be good for him. But not because, like, the world needed it to be Bilbo Baggins who saved the day. Right. Um, it was just that Gandalf was like, this This would be a good experience for him. It's a good tool to, you know, complete the task that we have in front of us. So, you know, win-win. And not only that, but he could see that Bilbo was not as corruptible by e- evil. True. And by money. Because, yeah. and if you think about it, men, all the men, the elves, and the dwarves get wrapped up in the monetary side of things and then wage war on each other and he's like i just want to go home to my warm bed <laughs> yeah what's wrong with you people i mean bilbo in this movie even says like are you like are you kidding me there's enough yeah. there's enough gold here for everyone we really don't have to do this and i think we should talk about i mean i think that's a really great segue to talk about um the military industrial complex yeah. and capitalistic greed and how it relates to this okay excuse me that ding dong is haunting me (laughs) um so the what happens is they bilbo flushes smog out of the hole right um intentionally or not i think it was unintentional and i think that is actually like because bilbo goes in there and starts talking a bunch of shit to the dragon because like for Throughout the whole movie, he's kind of unassuming, but he accomplishes great things. And I think he gets a little arrogant. Yeah. And his punishment is that this dragon's like, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to come out. I'm going to kill all the people in the valley. Yep. And, like, none of that had to happen if Bilbo hadn't been such a dick. Yeah, and Bilbo was such a, he had a little, like, he had a big swollen head on his shoulders. And he does that a lot throughout where he like does something by accident and he's like but of course i knew i was doing that (laughs) and then he tells the story when he's telling the story he's like and then i tricked gollum yeah oh yeah exactly (laughs) because he's he's arrogant like that's his his downfall that's his fault or his flaw yeah he's full of he's full of hot air a lot of the time Mm -hmm. um but anyway he he um you know pisses smog off and smog goes into um 
the the Dales and just destroys it. Just flies in there with like fire swooping around him and just kills men, women, and children in the Dales. Just burns up their village. Yeah. Um. But Bilbo tells the thrush to go tell the general about the bare spot on Smog's belly. Because Smog's downfall is also that he thinks he's yeah. the shit. He rolls over and he's like, look at my armored belly. Yeah. Look at it. Like, he, he would have been just fine if he hadn't, like, bragged and been like, I'm so, I'm so great. Yep, exactly. Like, that's the only reason that they even found out about his weakness. Yep, it's because he was like, look at my belly. Yeah. Man, and that's so funny that that pride was his downfall. And again, that's a situation where Bilbo used his greatest strength of noticing things. Yep, noticing. Empathetic noticer. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, uh, the men, he, he gets the message to the general. The general is made king. He's, and that's what men do. That's kind of the point of that. It's like men make, great, make warriors kings. Yeah. And Tolkien kind of war, rolls his eyes at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he comes, they, they come up and the dwarves are like rolling around in the money being like, <laughs> we have to put this on the books. We have to do accounting now. Yeah. And Bilbo's like, we have to eat. What's wrong with <laughs> like, you? And go home. Like, I'm tired. Yeah. We have to go home. Can we go home now? And um, the men of the Dales come up and, and they're like, they're like, uh, Smog is dead. And Bilbo's like, thank you so much for doing that. Y'all did all the hard work here. Yeah. And they're like, well, the only thing that you... And they're like, how can we repay you? And the men of Dales are like, well, our village is burned to the ground. So <laughs> maybe we could have some of that treasure there. <laughs> and Bilbo's like, fuck you. Yeah, totally. You can have that treasure. And the dwarves are like, no. <laughs> what? Yeah. Are it's you in, kidding me? It's global politics in a perfect little microcosm here like this is ours no no this is ours now i mean the men are even like you know you wouldn't even have that if we hadn't killed smog you'd all be dead and they're like well that's neither here nor there yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but still it belongs to us and dwarves are greedy and so like the way i i want to think about this is like what is tolkien saying about capitalism and what was this 1977 film choosing to show and about and then therefore make a commentary on capitalism. Well, I mean, this was shortly after the end of the Vietnam War, yes, so it was. Um, I wonder if that had any influence on it as well. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, sure it did. Yeah, like I mean, there was a lot of uh, anger about you know war instead of peace when there are other solutions to global problems that yeah. we often just throw military might at to fix. Yep. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um. So, Rachel, I guess let's uh, get to the end here. What do you think? Uh, is this movie a delight or a disaster? Um, I thought this movie was a true and perfect delight. I had yeah. a blast watching it. I can see where it influenced me as a kid. Uh, I loved it more this time than I did even as a kid, I think. Yeah, I I actually really enjoyed it too. I would say this is a delight, but I want to give it an asterisk and say that it's uh, a dated delight. I do still think that I would watch this again. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I think that a more timeless version of this movie probably could have been made. Yeah. But I fully appreciate this for what it is and think that it is uh, it has a good message for kids. It's a a good telling of the story, especially like in the way that it condensed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. A delight. 
A dated delight. Oh, man. I love The Hobbit. It's so good. Yeah, this well, was great. We'll have to go watch some uh, Lord of the Rings movies now and, no. and ruin this feeling. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, uh, it was fun. Reach out to us if you have any questions or anything. Uh, Want to give us some feedback? Our email address is recipeforddisastershow at gmail.com. And you can also reach out to us on our Facebook page, Recipe for Disaster Podcast. Um, we also have a, uh, new sister podcast with, uh, our friend Phil, who has been recording and editing our Dungeons and Dragons and Call of Cthulhu role-playing games. Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. I'm having a hard time talking. Uh, but it's a podcast called Fire and Blankets, and it's really well produced. He does an excellent job. Uh, adds sound effects and music and all kinds of stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, and if you just want to know what this whole role-playing thing is, well, you know, it's a good opportunity. Check it out. Fire and blankets. Other than that, I think we're going to go. I, well, one more plug for fire and blankets. If you like to hear people make ding-dong and poop jokes, <laughs> that may be the podcast for you. Yeah, if you want to see Rachel try and sell somebody a greasy donkey skin that she <laughs> found somewhere. Um, yeah. That's, or I guess not see it, but hear it. Yeah. Yeah, it's as disgusting as it sounds. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yep, bye. Bye.